0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for the, the Connor, Connor and Smith, Smith Show.
1: Places, everyone. Thank you, Places.
0: You took my line. Yeah, I, I'm understudying you. Ah, I see. Well, uh, hey, everybody. We are uh, going to talk to, we're going to air a, an interview we did with Kevin McAllister about a week ago. Um, So, we're not doing a craft tonight. Um, We just want to focus on the discussion we had with him. The
1: craft is my hair. Okay. No, it's not.
0: The craft is... A movie. Not.
1: There's not a movie called The Craft?
0: There is a movie called The Craft. I'm I'm sorry, I apologize. Yes. The
1: craft is a movie.
0: The craft is a cheese.
1: The craft is a cheese. All I even think about is changing the the letters. H R E C T T Craft is a guy I went to college with Jeremy Craft.
0: Okay, this 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 game could go on. Um, so anyway, we uh we hope you enjoy this uh, interview with Kevin Stephen McAllister, one of our nearest and dearest, and definitely somebody who's. Uh, uh been important in our lives uh artistically and socially and um yeah he was our original Ben in not of the Living Dead and we are grateful he spent the time talking to us so we have to take a break before we talk to him um so we will be right back bye Kevin Hello, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear us? Yes, yeah, Hello, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. How are you guys? Oh, you know, just sitting around in the living room, crafting um uh weaving loom um uh what are these called
1: i uh, uh, this might be my next
0: outfit no. <laughs> it's a It's colorful pot holders.
2: Oh, okay.
0: All right. Like like you do on a COVID Friday night.
2: That's what I'm saying. I'm like, COVID has brought out things we didn't know we had. So I'm no, happy to I, see. I, mm-hmm. I,
1: I think this could be <clears throat> a Pride Month mini. Uh,
2: a <laughs> mini what?
1: Mini many things.
2: Okay, there we go.
0: That's what I was thinking.
2: I just wanted to be certain.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, Kevin... Mm-hmm. What is up? How are you? What is going on right now? So, those of you who don't know Kevin McAllister, shut this off right now because we, we can't be friends anymore. Um, who doesn't know Kevin McAllister in the D.M.V. area? Um, Kevin is a wonderful performer. He is uh, a uh, he's has his own theater company. Um, we met. I think I met during the Civil War at mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yep. in
2: 2009. Nice. Oh God, was it
0: 2009? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: When did we meet?
2: Matt, when did I meet you? Was Showboat. it during Sweeney? Showboat.
1: Showboat. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I blocked that one out with therapy.
2: <laughs> that was my humble beginning, okay? So you unblocked that one, because that... That show, I mean it was eventful, we'll say that, but it definitely that was my first show at signature. And and uh Civil War was my first like uh, big professional job, even though I was an understudy. That was
0: the first big contract I ever had. But the thing about those spring shows, you always go on if you're yeah. not in the study.
2: Yeah, I went on a lot during that show, but it, it kind of it really kind of changed my trajectory in DC theater up until that point. I was just kind of, you know, the ensemble understudy guy. And then after civil war, people started taking notice and, you know, I, I wasn't expecting, I was just kind of happy to be there because I had heard all of your names before. So I was like, Oh, there's Stephen Gregory Smith. He's real. And there's Alicia Gamble. And, like, you know, so I had heard of you guys because I had been told to kind of look up to and respect mm-hmm. the artistry you guys were, were creating. So yeah. It's true. It's true. So, um after that, it was kind of like people started answering my emails.
1: <laughs> uh, where, are, so, are you you're not from Washington?
2: No, I'm from uh, Detroit, Michigan. Um so I went to uh I'm from yeah, from Detroit and then I came here for undergrad and graduate and was here at uh Morgan State University in Baltimore and then did a little bit of graduate work at uh, Catholic University in America. And then was actually leaving, the week I was gonna leave to go, I got accepted to, um, what's this school called, AMDA? AMDA, yeah. And um, was literally a week before I was gonna go, I got a call from uh, Toby's Dinner Theater saying, hey, we're looking for an actor to come in and play Cole House. Um, and someone told us that you would be right for the part. I didn't know anything about Ragtime. So, I mean, it sounded like a show with just a lot of white people in it. So I was like, oh, I'll pass. Um they were like, no, well, it's for the lead. And uh, it pays. And I went and auditioned. And it kind of changed my life after that. So um, that was like the first gig I had in the area. And then Civil War was like the first professional gig I had
0: so wait, 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 wait. So you did the ragtime with Alicia?
2: No, no, this was this was the second incarnation of the show. So got you. That's yeah. right.
0: She repeats stuff. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I came on the heels of Alicia. And that was all I heard about was her and the guy who played cold house and how he had won the Helen Hayes Award and how you know, I had big shoes to fill and and I was like, uh, okay. Because I had never done musicals really before that. So I was very clear with Toby that I've studied opera. I, I think I can sing. But other than that, you, you, my upstage from my downstage is not really making sense. So she would bring me in every day for like two hours before the cast would get there to kind of work with me on acting and learning the fundamentals of theater. Because I had no clue what I was doing. And we were literally like maybe three weeks from opening. so. It's a little wow. intense.
1: Kevin, do you, actually, do you have a favorite opera?
2: Uh, my favorite opera by far is Samson and Delilah. Don't ask me why. It's just something about uh, the aria Moncour that Delilah sings. I don't know. Something about it just really sits down in my spirit, especially if it's a nice, rich, like, mezzo, soprano-y sound. I don't know. Something about that just really, really, really excites me. Uh, I also really love um, uh, uh, what's it? Barber, Barber Seville. Those two, but that's kind of because I was
0: studying that role in college
2: and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, those are my two favorites.
0: Now, did did we'll get to art centric, but is this is it a different Samson and Delilah you guys were working on?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. This this one is just straight straight legit opera. It, I mean, it's some of the most beautiful music you will ever hear. I mean, you. you if you've never heard it, you have to listen to it. I'm going to send you the aria just so you can listen to that aria. You uh,
1: should. I would love to. Who's the composer?
2: Uh, it was written by a man named uh, Sanson. It's like Saint Seance. <laughs> uh, French? Yes, French. Yes, yeah, entirely in French.
1: You know, I like it. I like anything French. French. Okay. Fry. I like French fries. I like. Uh, I like the French
0: onion um, dip toast, like French <laughs> toast. <laughs> um, so, so you went to school for opera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. And then your connection to Toby's, you know, we have a connection to Toby's as well. We, we worked there for several years and loved Toby and, um, and you continued on uh, even like growing to direct things there, correct? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've
2: always had a thing where if I'm in something or if I'm doing something artistic, I want to learn everything about it. So I've always been fixated on what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm very curious whenever I'm in a show about like why costumes are chosen or why the choreographer is having people do certain things. And, and uh, Toby was very passionate about everything, as you both know, um, and just really would get emotionally invested in, uh, making sure that the actors understood the story they were telling. And something about that just really resonated with me to the point where I was kind of nagging her to teach me what she knew. Uh, I was like, I, I want to learn direct. Like, I want you to teach me. Um, and she hired me to kind of be her assistant for her, um, her youth summer camp. Uh, she has a teen professional camp that she does every year. And I was her assistant for that. And then whenever she was busy working on something, she would say, Kevin, take this scene and, and see what you can do with it. And I would take like six teenagers and stage a scene and bring it back to her. And she'd be like, that's good, but change that, move this, don't do that, that's bad. So through the course of working with her over those summers, eventually she just put me in charge of the teen summer uh, camp. And I was running it for about almost about four, four or five years. Um But it, yeah, so after that, once I kind of understood the fundamentals of it, I've kind of never let go of it. So whenever I'm at a theater, I'm always curious about how do I get on the artistic side? How do I get to sit with people when they're casting auditions? If I can be a reader just to get a sense of what makes directors tick, what excites people I respect, um, and then trying to figure out how I can take that and and make it my own. (laughs) Because the thing about the arts is that people will tell you stuff, but they won't really... Help you as much as you think they should, if that makes any sense. Um, they'll kind of point you in the right direction, but they're definitely not going to walk the path with you. So um, I've I learned very early on, like you, you can ask a lot of questions, but if you want to move ahead, you kind of just got to make it happen for yourself. Especially being a man of color, so uh, it's it's a different road I've learned. So,
0: so you did a bunch of shows at Signature. Mm-hmm. Bunch of shows at Ford's. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the other theaters you've worked in around town?
2: Uh, Only uh, Arena, um, of course. Toby's. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I've worked a little bit with uh, Monumental. Um, I've worked with uh, what are the other ones? I've done things with Center Stage. I've done things with Everyman. Um, I, I try to, if I have choices between two shows, I generally go with the theater I've never worked with before, um, just because why not? You know, there's always something to learn on the other side, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I've been fortunate enough to to kind of have opportunities, you know, and I try not to, to take that for granted or, or let my ego get too big, because I, I know that there are a lot of people who don't, you know, who, who work as hard as they possibly can and doors still get slammed in their face. So I consider myself one of the lucky ones because I definitely don't consider myself any more talented than anybody else out there. But um, I do try to appreciate that experiences do come from a lot of different places for me and I appreciate that, so,
0: yeah. And and your experiences here kind of have led you uh, to New York. Can you tell some about yeah, that? Yeah.
2: Uh, So the show came here at Ford's Theater uh, called Come From Away. And uh, myself and several other local actors were asked to come in and audition for a piece where we didn't really get the full script. We got like a page and was just kind of like, I don't understand what this is, but let's make it work. And uh, we found out after four of us were cast that this show was on, you know on the trajectory to go to broad, uh, Broadway. Apparently it was very famous when they did it on the West Coast and that they were doing it here and kind of just dropping it in several cities to kind of build up the momentum before it went to New York. So I come from way went, and we pretty much thought that the experience was over. And uh, there were four of us at the time, um, Happy McPartland, some of you may know, and Shane Bunting, and uh, who's in Harry Winter were the four of us, were the, the covers for that show. And so when it ended, we were like, oh, okay, great. Uh, But lucky enough, uh, the director really liked the work that we put into it and called us later to kind of become covers for the show. And so uh, when someone left the show or when someone goes on vacation, they'll call me in to kind of step into the roles because I I had to learn uh, five of the tracks, five five out of the six of the men in the show. So uh, it's been... I would say that show is probably the most stressful show I've ever done. If you've never seen it, it's just it's a show where people never leave the stage and it's built around like 14 chairs and if you are in the wrong chair, the whole show starts to unravel. So, <laughs> it's it's great, but it is exhausting and I'm happy that it's still running. Almost uh, three and a half years later, it didn't, it's not one of the shows that I believe that it's so far, it's gonna be open uh, when when theater returns. And I say when in very big letters. Um, and then after working on that, I came back here for a year and then got a call that I was going to be called in for Carolina Change. So went up for that about three or four times and got the call that I had been cast um, to play the, the bus uh, and the dryer for that
0: production. So it's, it's been a good life. It's been a good life so far. <laughs> I would imagine that come from ways like the scenic budget is not as expensive so, as some other Broadway yeah. shows, yeah. like the chairs being the we thing, have right? We have
2: our set is 14 chairs and there are like four trees that they have on stage. It's, it's really one of the only shows I've ever worked on that is solely focused on good acting telling a really good story. Um, and it's based on a true story of uh, what happened after 9-11 and how several thousand people were diverted to a town that only had a couple hundred people in it and how... The town came together to to take care of people from all around the world until they could get home to their countries because the airspace was closed um, just for everyone's safety. So people were grounded for almost a week. Um, but yeah, it's it's a beautiful story. It's and I don't consider myself an emotional person, but when I saw the show, I said I think I'm feeling something wet on my face. So. I was like, oh, this is tears. Okay, great. But uh, yeah, it's a very powerful, potent story. If you haven't seen it, please go check it out.
1: Yeah, we haven't seen it. That's the one thing that I, I personally hate about my own journey as a, uh, I don't know who I am, a performer, composer, whatever, director. Like, I feel like I've missed a lot of seeing yeah. stuff. I'm sure you've thought the same way when you're always doing oh, something, whether it be behind the scenes or... Um, Do you know, a fun fact, I know uh,
0: a person who was actually on that island who was, whose flight was diverted. Really? And, and that's how she met her now husband. Oh,
2: See, yeah, it's, it, it's so weird because there were so many people, because the show is based on a lot of interviews and true stories that people collected. And it's so weird that, you know, out of so much tragedy comes so much good sometimes. Um, And there's just so many stories about people who found their best friend or people I met that we were stranded together. And now this person's in my wedding and this person's, you know, my, my, the godparents parents to my children, you know, it, it's really weird. I mean, even with COVID, I've discovered that this isolation has really brought out some stuff in me that I thought I was just never going to get around to doing or never get around to exploring. But eventually I just felt like we all kind of ran out of excuses because it was like, you have no reason not to do this right now. You have no reason not to try it. I mean, if it fails, it's just you. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> And come and come from away is like a Canadian term for out-of-town yeah. visitors? Yeah, yeah.
2: It's based on the idea that everybody comes from somewhere else. And so, it, you know, we all come from away, even though we may root ourselves in Maryland right now. The three of us are are composites of hundreds of years of various destinations. And so um, even though we all claim this as our homeland, everybody here is literally from somewhere else. So it's the idea that everybody, we all come from away, we all come from somewhere else.
0: Wow, that's that's funny. The woman who I know, uh, who met her husband that way, she was a dancer with me in one of the only operas I've ever done, uh, street mm-hmm. scene. Great, at the Wolf Trap Opera. And she and I were like the dancing couple. And she told me all about that story. And it was not that long after, I think it was like a year or two after, um, but she was already married. And so those bonds of those people who met, you know, it's so interesting, the, the different stories. I've heard many besides come from a way of, of people even who were like in restaurants, mm-hmm. like hiding yeah. out who are still like best of friends to this day, because I would imagine that the, the tragedy forges a bond that's like indelible, I mean, the, you the, know. The amount of love
2: you would have to have for someone you've never met before. And the amount of respect and just wanting to take care and soothe someone else, I mean, has to be surreal at that point. I mean, it, it really has to just pull out the best parts of everyone. Um, for, for those kind of things to happen and for so much love to come out of so much loss. And, I, and it's so real because the, the cast has taken trips to Gander, Newfoundland, where the, the show is based and the town is very small and like the mayor knows everybody. And the the show itself has literally boosted the economy of that area because people now take tours sure to go to the places where, where these stories are based. And it's, it's like there are come from away, like tours and trips and tour guides and stuff. And people from Newfoundland come to see the show on the regular. Like the characters that the show is based on are real people who most of them are still living, come to the show all the time. They bring their families. They are in constant communication with a lot of the cast members. Like it's a serious love story between the cast and the actual people who live the story. Um, because it's just become such a big part of their lives that the people in this small town are now like international celebrities because Come From Away is in, I think I think at one point there were like six or seven productions around the world. Um, so they are really just speaking at its core to love and, and how many musicals just do that? you know, without, you know, the glitz and the glamour and the sparkle of costumes and stuff. It's just really people in plain clothes just playing different characters. It's so powerful.
0: And I would imagine not many, like, costume changes, right?
2: I mean, it's like change of a hat. You put on a pair of glasses. A lot of it is like, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, Sleight of hand kind of stuff. You know, just diverting the eyes while someone changes something very small. But most of it is just you put on a jacket, you take off a jacket, you put on a hat,
0: you become a new character. Um, So this is going to be extremely popular once it's released to regional houses. Yeah, and it's also
2: being filmed. So it's going to be available, I believe, on Netflix um, very soon. So
0: yeah, so anyone who can see
2: it. um, Oh, that's really exciting. I didn't know that. They're filming that one and what's the other one? Uh,
0: That Diana musical too. I knew about Diana because I'm friends with Joe mm-hmm. DiPietro, um, who did the book. Uh, that's really cool, though. Um, but, but I want to ask back to your Carolina <laughs> change. So I know you didn't get to open. How, where were you in the process when everything We were down?
2: literally scheduled to have our first dress rehearsal with an audience that night uh that day they gathered us uh, i want to say it was like maybe 12 one o'clock we had already been sent upstairs everyone was getting into costume because we were going to run the show once before we had an audience that night just to get you know our last bit of notes and things like that so we're in full costume and we get a call uh over the loudspeaker telling everyone to come to the main stage and as we gather, there is a huge circle of people and the whole cast, all the crew were standing there. And some people kind of knew because um, they kind of made it a thing across Broadway that all the shows were going to shut down. And I think Lion King was the first one to kind of announce it. So some of us kind of knew. Some of us were like, maybe they're going to say otherwise. And we're still going to do our, our performance tonight and then we'll figure out what tomorrow's going to be. But um, we were on this huge circle on stage in costume. And uh, the director was standing there. Stage manager had, like, um, I believe uh, Tony Kushner was there. And he had um, Janine Tesori <laughs> on FaceTime on his phone. And they basically told us that uh, they were going to shut down. And it was only going to be for a couple weeks. But w- I think they said, like, six weeks. I think is what they told us. It'd be like six weeks, and then we'll be back. And so everyone was like, uh, okay. Yeah, it'll just be six weeks. Everything's, we're going to get this under control and then we'll be back. So they said, you guys can leave your stuff here in your dressing rooms because you'll be back. So, you know, if you want to leave everything, it's fine. And the kids in the show, because we have a lot of kids in the show, they all started crying and they were like, no, 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 it's fine. We'll all be back. Um, Do we all still want to run the show? And so uh, one of the cast members expressed that it probably should be like a secret vote because they didn't want people to feel pressured um to run the show if they had other things they needed to take care of you know some people have kids and other things they wanted to handle so we had a secret vote and a lot of people were concerned because pretty much all of times square you know is broadway and all of these actors were going to be released so the first thing everyone's going to do if the city's shutting down is to go get food so they were like we did a vote and half the cast was basically like i think we should just close because we, we've got to take care of a lot of things because what i don't want to do is get out of here three hours later after every actor or stage crew person or a stage manager and there's no food left so um we ended up shutting down again it was a very emotional thing and we all said our goodbyes and some people went across the street to a bar had a, a couple drinks or something and then six weeks turned into three months And then three months turned into six months, and then six months turned into a year. And now, if I had to guess, uh, we closed March 12th, um, and it was an interesting day. Uh, I'm going to guess that we probably won't be back till like, maybe October at this point.
0: Now, I have a few questions to follow up on this, because this is something I've any, so we had Brad Oscar mm-hmm. on uh, last weekend and he was in the middle of the same kind of deal with um, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. And so I asked him the same questions. Did you have, how much of your spider sense was tingling, let's say the week before this happened? Like, were you seeing the writing on the wall? What was the vibe like in New York? Like, what was the scuttlebutt backstage like just paint a picture of all of that week leading up I to that announcement. i
2: i have been working on trying to see the glasses half full my whole life i have failed my whole life so i always feel like the glasses half empty <laughs> so i kind of sensed impending doom um but i kind of felt like kevin you're just being kevin so just you know let that go uh but the, it's interesting because the vibe in NYC changed very quickly when they first announced that the virus had reached the city and, you know, you have to take the subway most places. And so you're looking at everyone all of a sudden be aware of everyone else at all times. And so you're looking at what used to be very loud subway cars and lots of conversation and high energy, be very quiet and very still. And anyone who has like the slightest bit of cough, trying to cover themselves because everyone all of a sudden looks at them like you you're here to kill me and so I was very much in the mindset of this probably isn't going to last very long this show is probably going to shut down because within that week we found out that one of the ushers and one of the theaters had contracted it and that is kind of what started the 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 melee, the chaos, um, is when that happened, because that usher had basically been a source of contact tracing for a lot of people. So once that happened, we knew everything was up in question. Everything was going to be up in arms at that point. But I kind of felt like I'm a little afraid, <laughs> because no one's exactly telling me what this disease does and where it comes from. And now people are labeling this as something associated with the Asian community. And I'm like, is is that true? I mean, it was very weird watching like the Asian community move and breathe through space and feeling like they had a target on their back. And I remember there was a really weird altercation on the subway one time because a guy coughed and he just happened you know, to, to appear as someone who was Asian. And it became this whole thing about people wanting him to not get on the train. Like they didn't want him in, and, it, and he was literally like fighting with people to get his space on the train. It, it was just the stupidest kind of stuff, but um, it was stressful, it was really stressful. And I felt a certain sigh of relief when they were like, Yeah, we're gonna shut this down, even if it was just for a few weeks, because I could feel that my own sense of you know neuroses was kind of setting in and me just overanalyzing everybody's moves and what everybody's touching and people who are laughing too loud or if the door is closing and we're all in this space together for how long, you know, so. And what people wearing masks? This was, this was, this was was pre-mask kind of thing. Um, I had lucked out because my partner sent me one and he was like, I don't know what's happening, but here, I'm just going to give you this just in case. So whenever I got on the subway, I had one, but the majority of the city was not wearing them at the time.
0: wow that's i remember okay so this is a section i've said before on this podcast but i remember being at my job with amy mcwilliams and us walking down the street and seeing a bus come by and this was pre-mask for you know most everyone but people who were on the buses were wearing masks and it was like god isn't that weird to see people are wearing masks on buses you know and then when uh, schools started to shut down, like in mm-hmm. China, this was early on, but like, they're closing all the schools. Can you imagine what if they did that here? That's just absurd. Like, yeah, all the things that I said and thought about over a year ago, I just laugh at, I'm like, wait, wait, yeah, wait for and that's, it. that's the wait. scary part.
2: Now it's, it's the exact opposite.
0: You're, you're more freaked out when you when
2: you see someone's full of face. It's like, wh- why aren't you covered? Like, what What do you, I don't know. I, I take it personally sometimes when I see people without masks. So I, I try to either just go the other way or uh, find a way to exit the space as soon as possible. Um, because I, I'm very much aware that everyone's entitled to their own opinion of how they want to live and breathe in this space and in this world. But I, I draw the line at you deciding how I should live and breathe in this space.
0: You know what I mean? So, absolutely absolutely so so you're this is another question and this is so this is just from like me trying to understand mm-hmm. psychologically where you are so you so, so they say no show for like six weeks do you continue to get paid or do no, you have they, to get uh, on they unemployment paid us for, how long
2: they paid us for a while i want to say like I'd say, like, almost like uh, maybe four to six weeks. I want to say, maybe. Um, I might be exaggerating, but they, they paid us for a very long time after the show, more so than most other shows. Uh, and we were very grateful for that. Um, but my initial thought, like, as soon as they said the, the city was shutting down, we were closed for six weeks, I got my ticket straight back to Maryland. Because I was like, this is this is going to be huge, so right. I need to get out of here. And sure enough, like the following week, they shut down NYC entirely. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's just I, I I wake up every day still astounded that we're in this world, <laughs> and I kind of have to reset right, right. my normal, if that makes sense. I have to really reset and say, okay, you can't do, you can't go to, you can't just show up, you can't just walk in, you can't just shake hands. And and seeing people, I, I'm weird now when people extend their hand to me. And I'm like, ow. <laughs> yes, they do. Do people still do and that? I'm like, ah, you're going to make me look like the jerk because I don't
0: know. Hey, how about yeah, handshakes like, are he's, so, he's like, 2019.
2: You know, and then even that, I'm still, like, I need sanitizer on my elbow. I don't know.
0: I feel like all <laughs> of our elbows are so <laughs>
2: filthy. I just, I don't know. I try to keep my distance as much as I can from people. But this is this is crazy. I I mean, I'm sure I'm not the first to say it, but this is, this is just not a happy place we're in. This is just not something that shows America at its best. And it's just sad that we're so much about ourselves right now. And, of course, we've seen it as it relates to, like, you know, education and gun control and all those stuff. But it's just, I don't know. I, I had different vision of this country at some point and, and shifting it to this doesn't make me happy.
0: <laughs> right. Well, Kevin, I want to get yeah. to the art-centric of it all. So tell me about... When you founded Heart uh, what's the, uh, the story? Is of the is
2: Artcentric was founded probably about 2000, well not probably, about 2003. Um, I was in college with a group of friends who are all African-American and all of us were trained to be classical singers, opera singers, concert artists, um, classical pianists and such. And we were going out auditioning in the classical world and being told a lot that we didn't have experience. And so we needed to come back when we had experience. But that kept being, you know, the... the... How do you get exactly. experience if and, you're not being given experience? And the thing is, experience. a lot of us were very talented, like really, really talented. And I can say that for, for a fact. So it was just disheartening. And so we all literally happened to be together one day, of like three or four of us. And uh, someone was like, we just need to create our own. And that sparked an idea. So two weeks later, we called, like, maybe 15 of our friends and said, hey, we want to have a meeting about an idea we have. And all of them showed up and we sat and we talked about it. We went back and forth about what it was going to be and what it was going to do. And we just wanted to create something small that would give us opportunities, things that we could put on our resume saying, hey, I've done this whole role. Hey, I've learned, you know, like this entire catalog. Hey, I've, I've studied this portion. Because our program at Morgan was very much focused on the choral aspect of it. Like the, the choir was uh, like, nominated as the best choir in the world, I believe by Reader's Digest at one point. Like we, we were everywhere from, from Russia to the Czech Republic, to, uh, to Japan to, I mean, it, it was nonstop. So we wanted to just focus on ourselves because that's what we were told to do and no one was helping us. So we started Art Centric to kind of be the buffer for people who were coming fresh out of college who wanted to venture into the professional world. And so we were doing shows and we focused on like small operas and we did um, we did like little musicals here and there like ain't misbehaving or songs for a new world because we realized that we probably should expand into musical theater as well. And then as we got older, we started getting experience and so our century kind of fell off and broke because uh, we didn't really need it anymore. Uh, but then, We hit a wall again because a lot of us veered into the arts professionally, both in the classical scale and uh, musical theater side now because I had kind of pushed some of us in that direction. But again, I was being denied opportunity because everything I was right for at the time required um, me to not look like I do. (laughs) I'll put it that way. And I, would sing circles around. I would do great acting because I was very committed at the time, not that I'm not anymore, but very much focused on the craft. But a lot of directors would tell me, hey, you just, because uh, I would email them afterwards and they would say, you know, it's just aesthetically you look a little different and we just want to make sure that the world, it's the same and I hope you don't take it personal. It's just about really about the story we're trying to tell and making sense. So a lot of jobs I was not getting, um, I was finding that people of lesser quality were getting and and no, you know, negative towards those people, but uh, they the directors would tell me that they were not their first choice. I was, but because I was black, um, it wasn't going to be. So we started Centric up again, and said now it's just a place where we're going to create opportunities, arts opportunities for people of color, because there's no reason I shouldn't be given a shot at a Sweeney Todd or uh, a Don Quixote or a. Uh, uh, a file in one tin shade <laughs> uh, because people yeah. can't flip their thinking. So we started the company and really just started doing musicals that should have been Black in the first place. Like We did an all-Black production of Aida, and for some reason that was like, whoa. And I'm like, why is this shocking? The show is set in ancient Egypt. <laughs> it should be all-Black. So we've had to compromise on a lot of our fronts, but you guys don't have to do that. We're doing Lion King on Broadway, but half the cast is, is white. You're doing, you know, it, it, and, and most of the production team is white. So Artcentric is really here in Baltimore to kind of redefine what people of color are capable of doing. And uh, we restarted in 2014. And since then, in the last... Uh, seven, six and a half years, uh, it's grown about almost 600%. Um, we've started doing like one musical production for a weekend. Uh, we now do about five shows a year um, with uh, shows running about six to eight weekends, uh, six to eight weeks with uh, Wednesday through Sunday right now. So it's, it's really grown up. Uh, We also have a summer camp that we do that we focus on fundraising for every year for inner city youth to kind of make sure that they have ample, ample opportunity to meet some of the best and brightest in the arts to come in and teach them. We've had Broadway people. We had TV people come in and just do workshops with them because otherwise they don't know. Nobody's showing them. And most of the sad to say, most of the education in Maryland is not led by people of color, especially in the arts. So a lot of the students we're talking to are in these all white programs. They're not exposed to, to August Wilson or Dominique Morris. So they're just kind of like, you know, we did our town this year. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Know that. But do, do you have anything else that maybe you might actually be considered for immediately? <laughs> and most of the answers are no. So uh, ArtCentric has become a huge nonprofit in the area. Uh, we were just voted the best theater company by Broadway World uh, of the Decade. Um, So yeah, thank you. So it's it's been an uphill climb, but we've we've enjoyed it. And it's continually expanding. And we just bought a building, sad to say, in October of 2019 and shut it down in March of 2020. But um, it's been
0: good, it's been good. We enjoy what's happening. And if people wanted to donate is there always like a yes. donate place that well, they can if go people to like want to donate or and i
2: highly encourage them to do so thank you uh it's <laughs> you can go to yes. www.artscentric.org that's a r t s c e n t r i c.org and there's literally on the first page you'll see a button that says donate so um always uh commit it to Our donations always go towards BIPOC artistry. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the word BIPOC, but that's what it goes toward. And uh, development of youth and education. We do a lot of community partnerships. We're just making sure that we're not just serving ourselves, but trying to find a way to create gateways to organizations that may not get the spotlight like we do. Hey,
1: Kevin, how do... This is mad. I've had Stephen hasn't given me a chance to speak. On I know I have so many questions. Well, it's exhausting. It's Connor <laughs> and Smith. I get it. Go ahead. Um, if you if if you are a listener tonight or today or whenever you're listening to this, um, and you don't know where to start uh, as far as like educating yourself about. Uh, I'll just put in air quotes "white theater" or white stories that have kind of mm-hmm. evolved for a very long time. Um, I know. I mean, I know for our, my, for you know me and Stephen. Like you know, I finished the mm-hmm. "How to Be an Anti Racist" book. Uh, I've watched you know lots of films and asked lots of hard questions with some of my friends. But if you're really someone who really doesn't now clearly, I'm not saying that I know everything because I've done those things, but just to really open up your your mind to our history and policies and equity that has mm-hmm. happened that we've maybe been unaware about and then didn't realize that we were. Are there some things that uh, a theater? Um, director or producer could start to really how does that start for so that conversation start if someone's li- listening that wants to know what do i do i i, I don't know what to mm-hmm. do we can't do oklahoma well, with you all know,
2: white people. Um, we, <laughs> i think we've all enjoyed that production of all white oklahoma so this that uh, i think the first thing is that there's this and, and i'm in a very small minority and i do acknowledge that by saying this but there is this understanding that People of color expect people who are not of color to do the work entirely on their own. And I am of the mindset that if you told me to go learn Portuguese, (laughs) but you don't give me any tools or any connections to anyone who can actually teach me Portuguese, then I'm kind of frozen, I'm kind of stuck because I don't have the skills to improve or even achieve the goals you've laid in front of me. So I often say, yes, it is up to people to do their own work. But part of that work is also connecting with people who can actually help you and move you forward. What happens with a lot of theaters is that theaters and a lot of the infrastructures in theaters are entirely white. And so what they do is they say, we are woke. We are achieving because we are creating opportunities for people of color to be on our stage. Like, we're going to do, do a production of Dream Grows this season, and that will appease. We're going to do a production of Raisin in the Sun this season, and that will, you know, get us our street cred. But what happens is they don't realize that they have put us in kind of a small capsule. And they only use us when the bottom line is getting into the negatives. Uh, and they only connect with our community when it serves them bringing in folks to see that for lack of better phrasing, for see, to see that colored show. And so the first thing I tell any theater organization I'm working with is that you have to start with the people who have actually gotten you to where you are. And if there are actors of color that you greatly respect, rest assured that you have done them wrong at some point. They have not said it. They have done their best to keep quiet about it, but you have definitely done something that has offended them or triggered something in them at some point. Because there's no way you can know what it's like to be me. There's no way you can know that when you give me a certain pair of stockings that don't match my skin tone, that I'm offended. There's no way you could know that if you, you don't understand stylistically that these wigs should be done this way. And I have to explain to you that I'm now offended because you haven't done your homework. You know, so first thing I say is that ask the people who have helped move you forward. They have trauma. And anyone who says they don't have trauma is lying. They all have trauma. We all have trauma. The second thing I would say is that when you choose shows, you've got to look at, is this narrative we're telling so dependent on what people look like? If it is, then it's probably not the best show to do right now, because what we should be telling right now are stories that are more universal, um, stories that actually are just about like I said, like come from way, like love, or just uh, the idea of community, or the idea of of connection. And if you can find ways to look at diversity playing on the stage without it looking like this is our gimmick for this production. And there, we have all seen a lot of those. Um, I've been an actor who has been in some of those. Uh, But if you can look at the story and say, is there a way I can cast this and not affect the narrative? But give it a new lens you know, where a black man can be married to a white woman, but not have an Asian child. Because that, in layman's terms, just doesn't make sense. Even though there's this huge explanation that people can just believe and invest in family as family. If you're saying that genetically, this child came from this family, that doesn't make sense. And we as people of color notice that. It's like, So do the work. If you if you're genetic, you wouldn't give two white parents a black child and expect us to buy that. But for some reason, whenever it comes to BIPOC, they try to move the line. So what I am saying: is talk to the actors who have helped you get there, the stage crew, uh, the stage managers, anyone who's on production, anyone who's come in as just a guest artist has a perspective. Second thing is to look at narratives that are actually universal. And then the third thing is just realize that you at some point are going to make mistakes and say that from the beginning so that we as people of color understand that the door is open. Because if you're not clear about you can come to me when i screwed up, then we as actors feel like we are unsafe or we as directors feel like my job is in jeopardy if I say there's a problem. So unless it's very clear from the beginning, this is an open space and I really wanna talk to you and I wanna set up weekly check-ins or I wanna meet with you bi-weekly just to make sure that we're doing what we say we're gonna do, Um, the theater is gonna run into problems. And most of the theaters, I'm, I'm happy to say, are not stepping up. They made those statements way back when, last year, because we, we all felt the trauma of George Floyd and most of them haven't said or done a single thing since then. Like, I mean, like nothing. We're just we're just going back to, I'm producing shows with people of color. So that means I'm honoring my statement. That is not work. That That is not changing anything for us. That is literally, and most of the shows that are being chosen are rooted in some form of black trauma or distress or us losing or someone talking about my brother got shot or, you know, so you're not really doing the work you're just saying hey don't look too deep you know if you look at the surface I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing and we as people of color yeah. are still pissed
1: well I uh you know I, I do you ever think that there are maybe some pieces that really maybe should just <laughs> never be yes
2: there are a lot told of code again that, that feels that, again. I
1: mean I mean I mean, we've got writers and uh, we've got a, a lens, a way in to recreate like the stories we tell. I don't, I'm assuming people shouldn't be nervous about never seeing this title of show ever again. It, it becomes almost like um, yeah. most of those yeah. have a movie of on where, Netflix,
0: right?
2: I, I was looking at my resume. I think I told somebody this like last year. I said, I was looking at the resume and just realized that almost 60% of it is Black trauma. Like, I'm just, I'm shot, I'm called the N-word, I am the butler, I am the servant, I am the prisoner, um, and it, it's just, and and I've covered most of the roles that are, like, supposed to be played by a Black man of my age and type. So there's, there's this element of, if we put away a lot of the stories that, that, feature and employ people of color, there's also a huge gap now <laughs> because no one's taking the time to fill in the gap where all this trauma and negativity once lived. And a lot of theaters are saying that they just don't have the resources or the finances or the know-how to take risks. And so no one wants to change the spectrum. So we all run when we see a show like like uh, like uh, Color Purple because it's a rarity it's like oh uh, yeah okay great i'm in it's, it's a chance for me to look good but we don't you know we don't analyze that there's really a very small amount of things that that we can do and and people of color are not the first people you go to when you're hiring new writers you know just being for real i mean in the play on the play side of things yes but people of color are not the first playwrights uh, uh com- musical theater composers and so we we often find that we have What's left, which is the same things over and over and over again.
0: Well, and I apologize because we created a piece <laughs> in which you yeah, got shot. You, you didn't necessarily um, not even that dead the you know. It, like,
2: and and the thing about that was th- there was still like a positive statement wrapped in it. that thing. But the end result is, even when doing right, the black man is still wrong. You know, so. It, there, there's a lot of like, uh, I guess it, it's we're so rooted in what's been done 60, 70 years ago that, you know, West Side Story defines everything that comes along that fe- features a Latinx community. You know what I mean? It's the baseline for everything. You know, like, Porgy and right. Bass defines like a lot of things that come after for African-Americans. And so, you know, and, and sad to say, you know, the Asian community deals with the after effects of Miss Saigon or a flower drum song, you know? So everything that comes after that is standing on the shoulders of something that probably was not written by a person of color, for one. And for two, usually exploits or kills or brings drugs, or demeans someone in some sexualized manner to kind of promote its own storyline. So what do you do when the story you want to tell for your community doesn't fall within that scale? And there's no way to explain it because there's no predecessor. So we find that we're kind of just stuck until someone finds enough white people with money to back it. You know, like you look at like Lin-Manuel Miranda, his, most of his production right. team is is not like Latinx community. He's fantastic. You know, right. he's fantastic. Well, of course. But there, is, there is something too. like <sighs> we've got to find white money to kind of tell
0: stories of color. Wow. I mean, it, it's yep. it's such a big macro issue that Yeah, yeah. You've got to like zoom out. No, well, there's also not, and nobody this does. Is literally,
2: the only time nobody the entire does. world has has to press has had to press pause. I mean, this this is really the only time we've all been able to just stop in our tracks and and look at what
0: has happened to everyone else. Yeah, and question behavior and judgment and decisions and. Well, Kevin, I have taken up more time than I want, but I, I still want to get in a thing or two. I, this this um, what is Arts doing coming uh, so up that people could buy tickets on two to? Two
2: virtual streaming productions. Um, both productions are trying to end my life, for the record. Uh, one is uh, the last five years we're doing more of a feature film version of that, starring uh, Ryan Burke and uh, Alice Seca. Yay. Yeah, So that'll be out. My favorite, my love, um, I love her. It's a her. full-length feature film that we're trying to do, not based on that, that movie that existed before. Um, we love Jeremy and Anna, but we want to go in a different <laughs> direction. Um, and again, it continues the mission of just examining what people of color can do. So I'm putting Awa in a role that's traditionally white. Uh, and then the second thing is we are working on a piece called Technicolor which is a celebration of Black movie musical moments from the last 100 years. So, yeah, so we're going all the way back. Like, oh, 19, that's, that's incredible. 19. With, like, Ethel Waters and some of the things that she done. There's Stormy Weather, and there's Cabin in the Sky. And then, and then it jumps all the way forward to, uh yeah, cabin know, in the Tyler sky. Perry's. Uh, we got The Bodyguard. We got Sister Act 2. You know, things where the Black narrative musically change the shape of the show you know what is uh color purple without maybe god is trying to tell you something you know so just looking at those moments and we realized there was never there's nothing nothing in the african-american catalog that puts all of these songs together so we're in the process of working on that with an eight-piece orchestra uh we have about 10 of our favorite singers from around the country who are going to come together and uh record this and film it in a live Production, so um, it's it's exciting. We got Mark Meadows and some other people working on orchestrations, and uh, this will be out uh, late summer. So uh, and so when is this Technicolor? Again? And tickets are on sale now for both. So if you're interested, oh, um, go to our website and uh, get them. They all have limited ticket sales because we want to sell out. You know, it, it feels
0: good. So we can we can buy can. tickets you to can. both the last five years and Technicolor right now. And then and then yep. it's like when yep, the yep, album yep. drops, so, we uh, get like an email or something. Yeah, we're really excited about this.
2: And both those shows oh, were exciting. filmed with full yep. orchestras or will be filmed with full orchestras. And we're, we're really just trying to step up because we want to make sure that people understand that their money, their donations, their commitment to us is just constantly showing up. You can actually see where the money is going. You can see from year to year that we're trying to push ourselves. And and try, you know, we're trying film right now. I envy anyone who does film on the regular. It's 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 a taxing experience, but um hopefully very rewarding and hopefully everyone out there will love it the way we, we are going to. So um yeah, please
0: go to the website. Yeah.
1: Um we will definitely check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Maddie. I was gonna say I think um Okay, so we do this thing before we wrap up where I'm just gonna ask you, mm-hmm. you know, everyone kind of like learned something in the past year, whether it be like, <laughs> I took French on Duolingo, I learned how to bake bread. Was there anything that happened this last year plus that was like, oh,
2: yeah, yeah, I learned this because I, I had time to actually um, learn. Because I was so bored last year and I was like, let me try this. Um, I found a couple programs online that work for me. I'm also working through, uh, I downloaded the Babbel app. So I've been working, excuse me, through my Spanish. Uh, I also opened my own private voice studio. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm also one staff now at only theater Center. So I, I have a lot of like new things that I would never have gotten the chance to, to make space for um, had it not been for last year.
1: Was there any uh show that you kind of went through the, oh my the God. entire uh, series because you yes. had time to watch uh, everything?
2: Supernatural Endeavor, it's this British crime series on Prime, I love uh Battlestar Galactica, was amazing. Uh, what else did I watch? Uh, Oh, I started watching this this uh, this weird reality show, which I really love. It's about uh, it's a tattoo competition called Ink Master. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I don't know why I love this show so much, but I've watched every episode. Yes. So, far. so
0: yeah. And and any I'm books going that you
2: have uh, read Steven, in the past uh, year that King you would recommend? Right um, I'm trying. I like books that are thick like if it's less than like two three hundred pages i'm usually not interested so i'm currently in the middle of uh insomnia and uh i'm going to read the shining and carrie is after that i don't know why i just got interested in like all of his beginning kind of stories but i was just very curious to see like the evolution of his writing so
0: i'm gonna middle. I just did a re- See? Uh, See? reread Kids, it- on Needful Things this past summer. I'm not this, sure. I'm sorry, this I'm, past winter. Not, going so so fast what,
1: fast. what season sorry. is it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually am living insomnia. Well,
2: you know you and I will <laughs> and text it to a the morning yes. anyway, so I'm up all the time anyway.
1: <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm going to try to create the next TV show, uh, the sequel to the last five years I'm called still, the last year. I'm still year.
2: waiting, Matt. I'm still waiting on Which my show. Which seemed like so, you know, the last you year felt like You all that, get that like together. Five. You let me know.
0: <laughs> I I will not comment. Um, the people are we, waiting. We will not say much. the title of that show. All the time. Uh, <laughs> in development. Um, mm-hmm. So, Kevin, we've been asking our guests, uh, I made this wish box thing, almost Mm -hmm. like when you collected valentines, you know, and you decorated a shoebox. This is a wish box. Um, And if you had one wish that could be, you know, granted, what would that wish be? And I put it in this wish box along with all of our other guests. And each time a new wish goes in, I decorate the box more. So by December, <laughs> it's going to look like a drag queen on Mardi Gras. Um, so if you had one wish for now, doesn't matter what, what would you wish? It's for you, uh-huh. for the world, for your dog, for your I mom, for wish, anything. I mean, I What's think the, the, the simplest form
2: of what I'm built on is, is just uplifting. Um, and I ultimately would wish that we could just stop acknowledging what makes us different. I mean, that that would be my biggest thing. I, I love that we all acknowledge that we are different, but I, I would love if we could just put that on the back burner and just try to find a way to exist because these separations of colors, cultures, identities, and understandings is kind of what just keeps us from moving forward sometimes. Um, and if there was a way to just, let everybody be <laughs> I would be all for it um I it's just exhausting having to explain myself and then having to give 12 adjectives behind it you know and 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 then hoping that one of those adjectives hasn't triggered something in someone else in a negative way um yeah it would be ultimately if we could just kind of just see each other and right. just exist you know
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, Kevin. I, I I, I can't believe sometimes that we live in a world where, you know, I'm 51 years old now and growing up as a kid, um, I never realized, I never thought it would be possible to be in this world where we uh, mm-hmm. are discussing and seeing so much hate and uh, division and it just seems unreal that as a child I was taught certain things. Now, now clearly I was not born with a lot of diversity when I was growing up, but I, you know, after mm-hmm. going to college and school and really moving to a bigger city and, and experiencing that um, changed my life. But um, I, I keep reminding myself, my gosh, right. we were not. Right. No one teaches their kids this hate or maybe they do maybe that's part of the problem
2: it's it's intense um, and, I, and i don't I know, know maybe it's just an age thing it just feels here. like it's worse than it's ever been and i'm sure every i'm sure every generation says that but it really feels like it's just mm-hmm. on everyone's skin right now it's just it's on the surface of everything we do and people are literally fighting to say this is who i am why can't i just be who i am And and now i've got to give you a label so that you'll learn to understand who I am. And I'm like, why? That that, that shouldn't change how I live in my life, how I live my life based on you labeling how you choose to live and breathe in yours. But but here we are.
1: (laughs) Right. Right.
2: I think it's it's also Is it it just from people wanting to be seen? Wanna be seen. I think I think there's there's this idea that of course everybody wants to be acknowledged and people want to be accepted, but there's also this thing of just People, the, the, the few thousand people I know, that's just me ballparking, that all of us know a few thousand people, whether or not they're close or not, but the few thousand people I know, most of them just want to be acknowledged by those who just let them be, who just let them live and exist. And don't label it, don't give it any sense of yeah. you throwing your own weight on top of it and, and just being able to walk into a space where I'm comfortable just existing. And, and so the people who are, which is why I don't post much on social media, because I just, I don't feel like I have much to say other than promoting art centric, but it's, it's exhausting going, scrolling through and seeing how much people are saying, just leave me alone. Why can't you love me? Why can't you take care of this fellow man? Who did you vote for? I hate you because you voted for this person. And it's just like, I, we're not moving forward. We're literally just spinning in a circle right now.
1: Yeah. yeah, we agree. Yeah. Well, you thank you so awesome. much for, you for spending your last hour with us.
0: Oh my God, uh, Kevin, we could talk all night. Um, I I adore you, and uh, we'll put the link to Art Centric in the uh, <laughs> the you know
1: podcast link,
0: whatever in the stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know where mm-hmm. we put the stuff TikTok link in the TikTok-y. Um But I love you, and I I can 't wait to talk to you again and hope that uh the fall brings more happy news with uh, a return to your previous artistic endeavors yes. and yes it's and I'm very and excited you,
2: about you guys let me know we have a draft so of my <laughs> show.
1: thank you I will, and I don't know. We should have like a, a holiday special um, reunion. Thank of, you, um,
2: thank you. What It's still, our, it uh, says, characters? It's from weird Titanic. to say, but it's still one of my favorite experiences on stage. Um, I don't know why, but something about that that experience was just very positive. Mm-hmm. See part two. Yeah, we and didn't you even get into a the Titanic anyway, at all. So wow. I'm just waiting on a lot of things.
1: I. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. We, as soon as we open up, <laughs> which I think is, I keep saying 2024. <laughs> That's fine.
2: I'll probably be sitting right here in the same room we will, waiting. We'll so. let you know. <laughs> exactly. That's the hope. See? Upgrading. But you'll be
0: fluent in Spanish by then. All right. Love you both. <laughs> Bye. All right, my friend. I love you, and I'll talk. thankful to Kevin for joining us uh, it was a really great interview and um,
1: yeah I guess best of luck when we are all figuring out how to return back to um, regional local New York Broadway I mean, theaters absolutely yeah. um,
0: and just like oh my gosh all the the story of his company and like how um, that all evolved and it's just fascinating. He's an inspiration and a mentor. Very proud to
1: call him our friend. Um, yeah. So follow Kevin. Absolutely. Follow us. We're following Kevin. Yeah.
0: And tomorrow uh, we're gonna be talking to. Should we
1: get bumper stickers that people could put on the car that says, I mean, do you put bumper stickers on your car? Well, I, no, I don't put them on my, on my car, I put them on my luggage. Bumper stickers
0: on your luggage? That's not true. I guess that's a luggage sticker. That's like a 19 like 30s, 40s
1: feel, isn't it? Well, it's almost the thirties. It's 1921. No, we got a long way to go. <laughs> it's 1920. It's not 1921. It's 2021. Is, or it's uh, nine years until we get back to the thirties. Well. No. Uh so we'll uh we'll talk to
0: all of the what we call the super friends, which is just a a group of our friends. They're no more super than some of our other super friends. It's just the group that we talked to last month, so we're talking to them again. They are superhero friends. And uh, so we look forward to that. And as we always say, turn your heart, heart into our. Good night, everybody.
1: Good night.